0: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one
1: podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan
0: Johnson. Oh, baby. Episode 100. Here we go. Um, I don't even know what to say. I'm just, uh, in shock that, uh, I've had enough uh, support by you guys to uh, make it to episode 100. I really didn't know where this was going to uh, end up when I when I started doing this uh, last year in October, and uh, the support from you guys is overwhelming. I mean, I really, really appreciate you guys tuning in every week. I really appreciate you taking the time to download and listen to these podcasts, and um, you know, if this... For, for the guys who have listened to all of them, thank you very much. I mean, thank you. And if this is your very first time listening to this podcast, let me kind of reiterate what uh, this podcast is all about. I'm When I started this podcast, the goal was to interview... The presidents, the owners, the engineers, um, the people who really knew the ins and outs of the the bow hunting and hunting products, and uh, would share that information. And uh, that information was coming straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, right to your ears. Uh, you know, it it uh, it's not coming from a marketing company. It's not coming from a paid uh, endorser or a celebrity hunter or a professional hunter um, because at that you know that can get watered down with BS. So uh, I wanted to get information about the product to you guys and um, get it in a way that is in a way it's kind of biased because it's coming from the from the manufacturer from the company themselves, but they're telling you straight up about their products. Um, It's not typically a sales pitch, it is straight information, and uh, hopefully the information that you guys are getting from these podcasts help you make decisions on whether or not you like the company, like the products, and uh, may result in you purchasing or not purchasing uh, one of these products. So my goal is to stay as uh, unbiased as possible in these uh, podcasts although uh, if i really do like a product it kind of slips out sometimes but uh again you know this is i f- i feel this podcast is doing well because the industry is we i feel like they've been feeding you crap for so long that it's kind of a breath of fresh air to get, uh, an unbiased opinion on something or information straight from the mouth of the people who are, are manufacturing it. Uh, and you know, them just telling you straight up what their product can do, what it's designed to do. And, uh, maybe even some, uh, some, you know, some technical things that, uh, go unnoticed and, uh, So, hopefully, you guys are getting a kick out of that. Also, a huge shout out to all the guests that have come on the show. Um, The average Joes for sharing their stories about, and and I consider myself an average Joe as well. Um, But, you know, the regular guys who are coming on sharing their stories, not only about, you know, the product reviews that have uh, seemed to be uh, fairly popular, but the you know, the hunter profile podcasts, um, the stories of regular guys going out and getting it done in the field. And, uh, I'll be honest, those are, those are my favorite podcasts to do the interviews on. So, um, you know, there is a lot more to come and, uh, I'm really happy with how this turned out. I, I, I really don't even know what to say because I never thought I'd be in this position to, to be having, uh, a hundredth episode. Um, I, I don't look at this as work. It, you know, it is, it is time consuming, but I love doing it. I love talking about hunting products. I love talking about hunting, uh, not only strategy, but the products and everything that goes into it. So uh, for me, this is just kind of like a little break in my day where I get a chit-chat with uh, other fellow hunters. And, uh, you know, you can't beat that. So uh, now, like I said, thanks to all the guests who have come on and have done the, you know, not only the companies but you guys. But I want more of that. So I want you guys to continue to do these product reviews. Um, If you have a product that you love or that you hate, or that is just okay, but you may not purchase it again. All those things, all those details, share that with me, so I can share that with the masses. Let's uh, let's get all that information out there. So when it comes time to purchase these products, uh, some of these hunters, you know, the the guys like me and you who are who are looking for an honest review, because like I said, uh, a lot of these reviews online are are, are BS. So uh, my goal is to uh, filter all that out and get it straight from you guys. You know, one of the questions I always ask in an email when uh, people come out and say, "Hey, I want to review this product," is, "Do you have any affiliation with that product? Whether you're a pro staffer or you're a, a company rep or something like that?" And uh, I've caught, I've caught three, four, five people trying to uh, come on the show and. Um, two in particular where I did a whole podcast and then luckily I went on Facebook and found out that these guys are pro staffers for a particular company. So I didn't launch the episode because I felt it was unfair. Um, maybe they did believe in the product. Maybe that they were doing it just because they were a pro staffer. But I, that is, in my opinion, that's a biased opinion. And uh, the whole point of this show is to to uh, not have that so with that said whether you guys have a product you want to review whether you have a story about an awesome hunt an adventure anything let me know and I will get that that story out there I'll get those reviews out there for uh, you know the other regular hunters the average Joe so to speak and uh, they can listen to uh, your story your product review and whatnot you know if you guys have a company or a product that you want me to review hit me up whether it's on Facebook or you know email me at ninefingerchronicles at gmail.com and uh, I'll do my best to reach out to those companies ask them if they want to uh, come on the show not only that but if you have a friend who killed a giant buck or killed his first buck with a bow or any cool story let's get those guys on the show so uh, you know this prod, this podcast, um, I want you guys to be involved as much as humanly possible. Also, thanks for the emails. Thanks for all of the uh, Facebook messages and whatnot, um, all the comments, replies, and critiques. I really appreciate it. Um, so I think I've said thank you a thousand times. You guys get the point. Now. Let's talk about this 100th episode giveaway. I know uh, I mentioned something about it last week, but now it's time to find out what you guys are going to be able to, you know, put your name in the hat, so to speak, for. So first off, I'm going to let you know that in order to win, you have to listen to the end of the podcast because that's when I'm going to give the instructions. But right now is when I'm going to tell you what first and second place are uh, what they consist of. So... First place. Here's what you. If I draw your name for first place, this is what you could win: an HR200 Mossy Oak edition from Ozonics, Crossfire binoculars from Vortex Optics, an Exodus Lift trail camera, and a swag bag a t-shirt and hat and whatnot, a Kingpin sight from HHA, a dozen Full Metal Jacket arrows from Easton, one pack of Diamondback broadheads from Ramcat. Um, upwind scent elimination, super slam six pack and a hat, a four pack combo kit from Nose Jammer, and one pack of broadheads from Wasp Archery. So uh, that's a pretty badass giveaway right there. That's I don't I'm not even going to do the math, but I'm guessing that's close to uh, o- or over a thousand dollars worth of product. Now second place. You're going to get a four-pack combo kit from Nose Jammer. You're going to get a Power of Science bundle and an Annie Block from Analogics. You're going to get one pack of your choice from Grim Reaper Broadheads. And you're going to get a Whitetail Buck decoy from Montana decoy. So that is number two. So uh, again... That's a decent uh, second place is pretty pretty good as well. Um, so that is kind of a, a thank you guys for tuning in and listening. And uh, every person the, – the cool thing about that is I didn't have time to go back and ask absolutely every person who was uh, on – every company who was on the podcast – and uh, I want to say thank you to all the companies who took their time to come on, but also thank you to the companies that I just mentioned and uh, taking their time to you know, donate these products for, for you guys to win. So uh, we will, uh, we'll talk about how to win at the end of this podcast. Now, who's on this podcast today? Uh, We're going to be talking with Chad Sylvester. He's the other half of Exodus Trail Cameras, and uh, you hear the commercials on the majority of the podcasts, and they are from Matt Klein. He's one one half. Uh, Chad is the other half, and uh, today we're just kind of bullshitting about trail cameras. So, uh, Chad... And myself, and Matt was supposed to be on the show, but uh, he did probably what I would have done, and uh, went out into the timber, and he was scouting some property, and uh, hanging trail cameras, and and uh, doing all that fun stuff. So, um, plus we hear his voice all the time anyway. But we're talking about trail camera strategy, trail camera maintenance, basically all things trail cameras today. This isn't an Exodus uh, infomercial. So don't worry about that. Um, we're going to be talking about how to take care of your, uh, trail cameras, what to look for, you know, sometimes, you know, we have to admit that Exodus may not be the, uh, trail camera of your liking. Uh, it may not be in your budget. You know, there's, there's several different companies out there. So Chad is going to talk a little bit about, you know, what to look for in a good trail camera and, uh, what, you know, maybe the difference between what a good trail camera versus a great trail camera versus a poor trail camera and all those things. So, uh, it is a really, really interesting podcast today and, uh, you know, Exodus trail cameras is the only sponsor right now. And, uh, I owe those guys a lot as well. Um, basically, you know, just like any, uh, advertising, they pay me. And I rep their product, but the cool thing about that is I had the I had the opportunity to try out their trail cameras before that relationship, and um, I am really happy with the way they worked, and uh, that's why we took our relationship to the next level. I can, I'm sorry I couldn't I can't say that without laughing, but I mean you get it. Um, so thank you to Exodus, and um, I really appreciate your guys' support and. Um, hopefully i have hopefully you guys haven't felt like I've been laying down a sales pitch uh for exodus uh again I want to get you guys the facts I want you guys to have the same experience with um, that trail camera you know that I've had and uh, if you have any questions about that uh you know exodus trail cameras call the guys they will answer the phones and they will answer all your questions, send them an email, they will answer it, you know, they have awesome customer service, and, uh, if you've listened to the commercials, they have awesome, like, theft warranties, nobody has that, five-year warranty, nobody has that, so, uh, these guys are doing, uh, cool and interesting things that some other trail camera companies on the market are not doing, and, um, I find that, uh, I find that really interesting. So, uh, and that makes me happy. So that's why we, uh, we took our relationship to the next level. (laughs) And I'm not going to waste too much more of your time. I've already been talking what I feel like for 15 minutes, maybe. So, uh, let's get into today's trail camera talk podcast with Chad Sylvester from Exodus trail cameras. All right. Still hear me. Yep. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here for our 100th episode, and uh, today on the phone with me is Chad Sylvester from
1: uh, Exodus Trail Cameras. How are you doing today, Chad? I am doing awesome, Dan, doing awesome. Uh, pretty humbled you chose us, for or me, I guess, for the uh, 100th episode. That's, uh, that's a pretty big milestone for you. I know it's important, so uh, it's pretty cool to be here.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I say it every podcast, but I want to say again, thank you guys for supporting me. I really appreciate, uh, you know, taking the time and, uh, the, the money and throwing it my way. And, uh, I really appreciate that.
1: Yeah, no problem, man. It's, uh, it's much well-deserved, much deserved.
0: Perfect. So, you know, I had this thing scheduled and I got to give uh, Matt a little bit of shit because uh, uh, <laughs> instead of coming on the podcast today, the guy just goes, well, I'm going to go set up some tree stands and do some scouting on a property. <laughs> so he's not able to join us today, but I tell you what, we're sick of hearing his voice and all the commercials anyway.
1: So it's good to have you on the show. Well, I appreciate that. You know, Uh you know, he, it seems like he spends a lot of time in the woods, and uh, I, I know it's beneficial for, for both of us because he's doing a lot of, uh, well, some of my scouting also. But uh, uh, it's good to know that uh, I'm still well, well well needed, I guess.
0: Well, I guess what I want to know is what did, what's he got on you that you're not out there and he's doing this podcast today, or or does he have something on you where uh, okay, you got to do all the office work and I get to go out and do the the fun stuff.
1: Well, it's not, he doesn't really have anything on me. It's no, no blackmail material per se, but I guess, uh, I guess it just comes, comes down to our wives, I guess, and <laughs> the relationships at home. Uh, he just has a little more freedom, I guess. Oh, man, do I know exactly
0: what you're talking about. <laughs> but today, let's see here. Today, we are going to talk... Uh, not necessarily about Exodus trail cameras. I want to, I want to talk about Exodus, um, here for a little bit, but, um, this is not going to be, uh, I guess, a a 100% about Exodus podcast. Uh, basically I want to talk to you guys about, uh, you know, how one should properly use trail cameras. What are some things that people need to pay attention about when, you know, using trail cameras and, uh, you guys are a trail camera company. So I figured, you know, it's the hundredth episode and you guys are the experts when it comes to trail cameras because you own a trail camera company. So, uh, I figured, uh, this would be, a an awesome thing to do, but before we get into all that, I want to know how excited are you for your 2016 hunting season?
1: Oh man, I am pumped, you know, <laughs> uh, 2015 was, was, uh, was a tough year, um, Basically boiled down the one encounter for me very early and uh, on a 135-ish type class animal. Let him walk because obviously we had pictures of giants uh, on camera. And uh, I went about seven, eight, nine more days without an encounter until the very last day. And uh, needless to say, I ate a tag for the second year in a row. So, biting the bullet for 2015, I am really excited about 2016 we have some really good deer on camera um i think there's going to be a little more time this fall to hunt you know obviously we want to make uh make ohio big being our home state but uh we've gotten on some pieces in illinois there's a possibility uh, of us going down to kentucky maybe missouri so um uh our schedule is a little more open this year and uh i think it's going to be awesome and i think we're going to lay down some giants well
0: Good luck. I tell you, I know exactly what it's like to uh, eat tag soup. I do it quite often. And uh,
1: <laughs>
0: so I know the taste of those tags, man.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's uh, people think that because we're a trail camera company and we have all these trail cameras at our disposal to use, which we do, we run a lot, you know, as Matt and Matt probably mentioned in the previous episodes, we run quite a few cameras, but uh, we can get them on, we can get them on camera. We just can't kill them. So Hopefully, uh, hopefully this year's the turning point for us. (laughs) And that's
0: what I always tell people, you know, they think that just because someone has a big trail, picture of a deer on trail camera, that it means they're going to kill them. That don't mean shit. If you can't, (laughs) I can go out and I mean, yeah, I live in Iowa, but I I can go out and I can, uh, put a, a trail camera in a field or, you know, put it over a mineral station this time of year. And, you know, me being in Iowa, I can get, you know, a one fifty class deer, you know, even bigger to, to show up just, you know, basically on random, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to have an encounter with that deer come the hunting season.
1: Absolutely, man. There's a whole lot more to it.
0: That's right. So I want to talk a little bit, you know, before we start talking about trail cameras, I want to talk a little bit about Exodus and, um, you know, how is the company doing? Um, what kind of growth have you seen since you started and, uh, you know, what are you excited about for the future?
1: Well, we are doing awesome. You know, it's, uh, it's a, it's labor of love for us. We truly love what we do day in and day out. Um, whether it's, you know, being in the office, dealing with all the the paperwork BS or, um, you know, talking to customers, which is always, is always good getting feedback from customers and then spending time in the woods, obviously using our product. Um, it's almost a dream come true to be honest. Um, and, as far as growth, we uh, we are growing exponentially. We 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 are well above our forecast for 2016, and uh, we actually just came off a back order, a two week back order, because truthfully, these orders are coming in so fast that we're having a hard time keeping up as far as uh, inventory, holding inventory, and uh, what we're finding is, you know, all the customers from last year that, uh, really bought into our mission, but wanted to buy maybe one or two cameras to see how our product worked and see what Exodus was about. Those folks are now coming back and buying, you know, five, six, seven, sometimes upward to 20 cameras. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just been awesome. Um, we're really excited about everything that we're doing, you know, um, from start to finish, our brand is a little bit different than, uh, than what you typically get in the outdoor industry and uh, we're, we have some cool things to come. We're still working on that sophomore release um, that should be available. I don't want to throw any dates out there, but it should be available early uh, 2017. You know, we're just working, uh, you know, nose to the grindstone, making sure that that thing is a home run, making sure all of the uh, i's, and T, i's are dotted, T's are crossed, um, and taking in all that, customer, um, all that customer input to make sure that we're giving folks, you know, what they're asking for.
0: So, I mean, can you can you share any information with us at all? I know that some of this stuff is is hush hush, but uh, is there anything that you can share with us as far as details of this uh, sophomore
1: release? Um, you know, we're just starting the, the testing process. I mean, we've had we we have a, the uh, hardware uh, design and schematics finished and finalized. It's just testing, maybe moving a few things, um, as far as hardware goes, I can tell you a few things. I could tell you the trigger speed in our detection zone will be much improved. Um, you know, we're looking at, uh, our goal was a sub point five trigger speed for photos. Uh, I think that we're going to accomplish that. I think that we're probably going to end up around somewhere between, you know, 0.25 and 0.3, I think is what the testing is, uh, coming in right now. um, <clears throat> So that's a uh, you know that's that's a big thing you know a lot of guys are are consumed about trigger speed and detection zone um, we're working on our battery uh, our, our battery life trying to get those resting resting currents down and some of the power consumptions during the day and night we're trying to get those down to improve battery life um, those are two of the main focuses obviously uh, that we were trying to improve on um, but other than that really. Um, the user interface is going to be very similar. We're going to simplify it just to, just a tad, taking out some of uh, the un- unneeded things um, that we had in in the lift. Uh, but other than that, the shell design is the same. Um, you know, we're we very big on that vertical door with the dual latch system preventing moisture ingress. Um, the same longevity, same quality components. So overall, it'll be a very similar camera. Just uh, just spec wise, those numbers are going to look a little better. Okay. Yeah. I know that, uh, everybody that I talked to always
0: said, you know, one, for some reason, one second trigger speed is not fast enough. I don't know right. why, what, why that is, but you know, that was a, a complaint that I heard from people about your cameras. And now with this new version available, uh, this faster trigger speed, you kind of answered that question.
1: Absolutely, absolutely you know it it was uh it was something that we've seen from you know customers calling in writing emails uh people who are interested in the lift but not necessarily necessarily ready to buy um you know and the one second trigger speed or the point nine second trigger speed is really uh you know that's on par for, for I guess for, for, uh, for most cams, but that's not what we're after here. We're not, we're not after to be an average brand. We want to, we want to be, uh, we want to be cutting edge. We want to be the leader in the industry in everything that we do. You know, we don't want to only be known for, um, you know, our warranty policies and the service policies. We want to be known as a tech company. Right. So, um, you know, that's where it goes from here.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Well, enough about Exodus. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about uh, trail cameras in general, and uh, let's talk about maybe some some problems that people face when using trail cameras, or you know how to locate them. You know, just maybe some problems that uh, that a regular Joe may have with a trail camera that they've purchased, mm-hmm. um, and maybe throw some ideas out there on how to. Um, how to solve those problems. So um, I guess the, the very first one I'll ask is battery life. Is there a trick to battery life to, or a style or kind of battery that will maybe lengthen um, your, your camera life as far as uh, battery consumption is concerned?
1: Great question. Great question. Um, I don't know per se there's a trick, but there is definitely uh, an education process that Um, consumers should know, um, how their camera functions, whether it's a six volt camera, whether it's a 12 volt camera, how many batteries does that camera take? Um, and also know the difference between alkalines, rechargeables, and lithiums. Um, batteries ultimately can cause you the most problems in the woods. Um, as far as trail camera performance goes. And I think the one thing to note is the difference between, Alkaline batteries and lithium batteries. Alkaline batteries um, typically start at 1.5 volts. So if you're running a 12 volt camera, uh, that would be eight batteries. But as they cycle, as that camera's taking pictures and it's drawing power from those batteries, the voltage starts to drop or decrease just a tad bit. But over a series of, uh, over a a specific time or a series of pictures, I guess you could say, um, as that voltage starts to decrease and you hit, you know, somewhere between 60 and 50% of uh, the life cycle of that battery, you will start to see performance issues, whether that's the trigger speed slowing down, uh, your detection zone, detection zone starting to shrink up. Um, Eventually you're going to start missing night photos. Um, Whereas lithiums, um, you don't, you don't get that. Lithiums use a a metallic based electrode. So you have better um, cold weather performance versus the alkalines that use a water-based electrode and the lithium start at 1.7 volts, and they and they their life cycle or their lifespan runs consistent at 1.7 volts almost until the moment that they die. So the analogy that we use um, a lot when we're at trade shows talking with folks is if you're running a uh, you know most folks are familiar with lithium power 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 tools like a power drill, and if you if you're using a Dewalt or a Makita power drill, and uh, you know you're running screws into a deck or something, and you run a thousand screws in, and that and that, that drill is operating you know pristine. It's operating perfect, but then within two screws, it's dead. Well, lithium batteries for truck cameras do the same thing. So, um, you know, you get a much longer, you get much better performance out of lithiums. You get, uh, at least three times the lifespan out of them. Um, you know, and we know that it's a little more cost upfront, but in the long run, and it ends up saving you money. Um, you know, when you, when you compare um, the lifespan of those batteries, lithium batteries versus alkaline batteries. Um, so that's one thing to note. The second thing would be, you know, when you're comparing cameras um, to know whether that camera is 6 volts or 12 volts and know how many batteries it takes to power that camera. So some cameras on the market are 6 volt, but they still take 12, 12 batteries. Um, you're really running that camera at a multi multiple capacity. Um, of what that camera is actually requiring. So those batteries can be uh, in parallel or in, um, in, in a sequence where they alternate. So you're really running two times capacity in some of those cameras. So it's, uh, it's important to know the, your equipment, to know your cameras, um, know, you know what they require as far as power. But uh, anybody we talk to, we recommend running lithium batteries. It's, uh, it's going to save you a lot of headaches, going to get you better performance out of any camera. Um, and it's going to be cheaper in the long run.
0: One thing that I've always kind of had a problem with is trail camera placement and whether that has been in the wrong location, it's, whether it's over a mineral, uh, mineral station, or if it's, you know, you're trying to catch a, uh, a deer jump in a fence or coming down a specific trail. Um, I've, I've had issues in the past where I just can't get my trail camera in the right spot for a good picture to catch what's coming through. Do you have any tips or tricks that, uh, might be able to help, uh, someone, you know, put their trail camera in, uh, the best possible spot?
1: Well, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of a, that's kind of a tough question. Um, you know, Matt and I, uh, we talk a lot about that wheel of fortune method, um, that we use and, and basically that boils down to running a number of cameras, um, for one specific animal. And then we, once we have a photo of them, we kind of reposition some of those cameras to gain as much data as we can, um, uh, from those initial pictures. So, you know, I, I think, uh, I'm not, I'm not the type of guy that is worried about, you know, those glamor shots, you know, always facing your camera North or having pristine uh, background or foreground in your picture. I'm not worried about that. I use these things as a tool to kill big deer. Um, That's all of them. That's all that I'm worried about. So um, generally speaking, once we have initial pictures of a deer, um, you know, we'll collect as much data as we can from, from those photos, the initial photos that we get, and then go place our cameras, uh, based on what we think or how we think he's moving. So, um, you know, a tool that we use is deer lab, but that's not, you know, it's not required. Um, so if we get a picture, let's just say we get a picture of a, of a deer over a mineral site and we think that he's coming from the, from the Northeast. Okay. And it's, it's evening time. It's, uh, you know, six 30, seven o'clock in the evening this time of year. Um, we will go back and check the weather information and see what the wind is doing. So we will go back, check the weather, calculate where where we think he is moving from, and then we will take specific cameras um and then place them from a bed to food source travel pattern or a, a bed to staging area uh, pattern and from there Uh, we will even go a step further once we, once we kind of verify, okay, this deer is moving, um, with a Southwest wind. We think he's moving from the Northeast, uh, quartering into the wind or heading directly into the wind, uh, using a specific trail. We'll actually go and hang cameras in bedding areas or above beds in the hill country. But one thing to note there is, we will not check those cameras until the following year. We will throw lithium batteries in there. We'll throw a large SD card and we will let that camera sit and just soak for the entire season. And then when we go in for a po- for post-season scouting, we'll go ahead and pull that camera, pull this, that card and then gather that information um, from, you know, six to eight months that we gather. But
0: you know, as far as specific, um, just to interrupt you real quick. I mean, uh-huh. that's obviously something that someone with a trail camera company has the luxury of doing, but uh-huh. is that, is that something that you might recommend to, uh, somebody who, you know, is very interested in maybe annual patterns or, you know, trying to locate and pattern next year's buck, like one year ahead of time, because, you know, I Absol- I use all my trail cameras for, you know, this year because I, I need to use them for this year. I don't, I don't have the luxury of having extra trail cameras, uh, to just dump in the woods and say, I'm not going to touch it
1: for one year. Right. Well, I think ultimately the question, um, people have to ask themselves is, are you hunting a specific animal or are you hunting mature deer movement in general? I think that's the bigger question there. And if you're hunting, uh, you know, if there's a specific buck that you're dedicating your your season to, I think absolutely you should focus every resource you have on that animal. But if you're if you're satisfied with uh, any mature animal four and a half years or older, whether you've had history with him or not, then I think generally speaking, um, you should focus your efforts on mature mature buck movement in general. So. Uh, I think that that's probably a question you have to ha- people have to ask themselves first um, before they kind of gather a strategy. But I mean for the most part, uh, you know a lot of that is it's gonna boil down to basic common knowledge, you know, putting cameras on food sources, um, you know, figuring out what time, which buck is showing up where, whether that's a food plot, um, you know um, a, a white oak stand, um, persimmons, whatever you have in the area that, that those bucks are feeding on uh, feeding on um, at that time. And then obviously something a lot of people do not pay attention to, including myself, which bit me in the butt last year was paying attention to does and doe bedding areas with your trail cameras. Um, if you can pinpoint specific times, specific does or doe family groups are coming into estrus, that can be the biggest advantage you have during the rut. And it's a lot, it's something that 90, 90, 90 to 95% of people do not pay attention to, including myself, which, uh, probably may have cost me, you know, uh, eating a tag last year, but you know, that's the way it goes. That's, uh, that's, that's how you evolve as a hunter is to, you know, look back and learn from your mistakes. So I'm not really sure if that answered any of your, any <laughs> no, of your, any of your questions, <laughs> it but did. Uh, it okay. did. Um, I'm just
0: gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to edit this, uh, this part out, but can you put your pen down?
1: <laughs> oh, my, my problem. <laughs> I, have a, no I, have, I have a bad habit like that. Like oh, when dude, I, I do too. I do rants. So I'm like clicking my pen, tapping my foot.
0: <laughs> yeah. You should see me in work meetings. I'm like always pounding on the table and stuff like that. But, uh, All right. So the next question I have for you is: How should a consumer know what trail camera is actually good for them? Uh, Because there's, you know, there's obviously Exodus, but there's uh, tons of other trail cameras on the market, and uh, and like we discussed uh, at the last podcast I recorded with Matt, there's tons of different uh, price points as well. How should A consumer know what they actually need in a trail
1: camera versus maybe what they want. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that starts, obviously that does start with price point. Um, you know, uh, I would never, I would never recommend or suggest someone stressing themselves uh, financially for, for a tool or for a piece of equipment uh, using the outdoor industry, whether it's a bow, a trail camera, clothing, you know, tree stands, whatever. Um, so I think it does start with, Figuring out what you can afford and what you can spend. And I think from there, um, it all comes down to doing your research, doing a little bit of digging, um, beyond the typical marketing jargon that you get from the industry. Um, you know, going beyond the specs, maybe jumping on a few forums, um, reading some consumer reviews, whether that be Amazon, um, again, going back to, um, maybe, maybe some hunting forums that, uh, you can get some knowledgeable information, you know, obviously social media, um, this day is a, a huge player in that, but also again, taking that, that consumer review with a grain of salt, because, you know, there are guys that maybe have a bad experience with a brand and and they'll dog that brand for the rest of their life. And maybe that brand is, is legit. Maybe they put out a good product, And, uh, you know, that guy was one in a hundred that had a bad, bad experience with it. And I think a lot of times consumers tend to, um, give their opinion, uh, more so when they have a bad experience rather than a good experience. So I think it just takes time, Dan, I think, uh, I think it takes time, maybe three or four hours, um, you know, to get online, to get on the web and, and really do a little bit of due diligence and, um. Read about the camera, know, uh, you know, get past the megapixel, um, the marketing ploy, know what sensors being used in the camera, knowing, um, the power consumption of the camera, whether it's six volt or 12 volt, um, knowing what, what camera is compatible with which types of SD cards. Um, it just takes a little bit of time. You know, I think that, uh, for the most part, guys, consumers, um, in general are getting better uh, in this day and age, because of the, the, uh, the resources they have at their fingertips, they're getting better at that, um, than maybe 15, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's industry-wide. I don't think that's necessarily just in the trail cam industry. I think that's, um, industry-wide, whether they're buying bows or clothing or, or, uh, or tree stands or what have you, they, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's new resources popping up every day. I mean, that's what, your podcast is based on it. It's a, it's a gear podcast and, a, uh, you know, obviously you do a pretty good job at, uh, bringing on everyday consumers, giving their opinion, uh, about different products. So, um, I think it just, number one, it starts with, um, what you can afford, you know, obviously that's going to limit you. And then number two, um, you know, deciphering which brand is going to work best for you. So,
0: so from, uh, an actual category standpoint are there things that, you know, cause you met, you mentioned something about, you know, get past the megapixel uh, mm-hmm. thing. Is there, uh, um, a, a certain number of megapixels that, you know, once you surpass that, it really just doesn't matter
1: anymore. Well, um, you know, that's, that's dependent on the manufacturer, it's something that, um, uh, you know, everyone wants to, go back to these, these, these spec sheets and, you know, some companies market a, a 20 megapixel camera, but that doesn't really, it doesn't really tell you anything because those megapixels are artificially created by the software. What you really want to know is what size image sensor is in your camera. You know, we compare that a lot to uh, the DSL DSLR market where, you know, obviously a camera that you buy ha- that has a full frame sensor uh, is going to take better pictures and than, than, a, than a camera that has, um, a smaller size sensor. And it's the same, it's the same way with trail cameras, you know, a, a camera that has a, uh, the trail camera that has a three megapixel sensor is going to take better photos than, uh, a camera that has a two megapixel sensor. So when companies are advertising a 12, 15, 20 megapixel, Picture that's just giving you the file size. It's not necessarily giving you the clarity and the crispness of uh, what you're actually getting um, from that photo.
0: Okay, you know we already talked about trigger speed there a second, but is what is a good trigger speed? I mean. It just seems like, you know, you you, all, you also use the term marketing ploy. Is mm-hmm. there a trigger speed? I mean, what what is considered a slow trigger speed as opposed to, hey, this trigger speed is, speed is so fast, it really doesn't matter because, you know, you're uh, right. running or walking through the woods is going to get uh, captured
1: at this point anyway. Right, right. I think anything in this day and age, anything over a second is probably slow. Um, and anything probably – You know, sub 0.5 is probably a little bit overkill. But again, it's 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 really dependent on how you're going to use this camera. Um, you know, if you're paying money to have a quarter second trigger speed, but yet you're hanging that camera over a bait station or a mineral site, what are you getting from that? What are you getting from a a 0.25 trigger speed if that camera's over a bait station? You know, you could probably get away with something that has a slower trigger speed. Um, but yet if you're using that camera on a trail and you're dependent on the information that you're, you're being provided, uh, you're being provided through the rut where maybe, you know, bucks are chasing does. Maybe you need that quarter second trigger speed. So again, it, it, a lot of that comes back to how you are going to use that individual camera, uh, to your advantage. Um, really, um, again, anything I personally, in this day and age, you can probably get over anything over any any trigger speed over uh, one second. A lot of it's going to be dependent on your setup, how you're positioning that tr- that camera. Uh, maybe on a trail. Maybe you're not positioning that perfectly uh, perpendicularly to a trail. Maybe you're quartering that uh, into the trail, so your field of view becomes a little bit wider. Um, so. Again, a lot of that depends on uh, your personal use and how you plan on using that camera. but I would suggest um, for most folks anything under one second uh, in this day and age you can use as long as you uh, as long as you know on what specific direction you're gonna use that camera and how you're gonna use it gotcha
0: so you know elaborating a little bit on marketing ploy what are some things that you know if a trail camera company says hey our our trail camera does this what what are some things that we should really pay attention to versus what
1: we should ignore Yeah. Great, great point. Great question. Um, obviously trigger speed is one thing. And again, like we previously discussed it, that goes back to your personal setup. Um, but also maybe detection and flash range, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies are marketing a hundred foot detection, hundred foot flash range. And I don't know, I'll be honest, I'll be, I don't know a single person who is setting their camera up a hundred feet away from their desired target. Um, so that would be one thing. And it has its advantage uh you know in a food plot setting maybe. But then again, as long as your camera that you're using has a has a time-lapse feature, you know that kind of overlaps or makes up for um you know that large detection zone and um for the most part to get that uh, you know superior you know ultra long detection zone those companies are putting um very sensitive pir sensors in their cameras with a very narrow um uh detection zone or an area very narrow field of view to to get that range um so be cautious of uh you know what you're using the camera for again um so detection zone would be one thing um uh Again trigger speed also comes into play there and what
0: about flash
1: versus like uh, like
0: a, a, a infrared or like a black flash or or stuff like that
1: <laughs> that is a uh, that is a very touchy subject inside the industry you know there's um you know, there's guys that say that white flash cams or uh, the IR cams the the seven twenty NMs, um, the red glow I guess uh, to to say will actually scare deer. Um, typically, you know, I would agree with that personally. That's on, that's based on a personal, personal experience. The deer that, uh, that we hunt, Matt and I hunt, um, you know, we hunt a lot of public, um, there's a lot of pressure. So the deer that we hunt don't tolerate a whole lot of intrusion. So we try to be as, um, as least as trus- intrusive as possible. We we do a lot of elevated sets where those cameras are not even visible. They're out of the line of sight of those animals. So we'll hang those cameras eight to nine, 10 feet off the ground, angle them down. So they have no clue that they're there. So that's, that's, that's a, a big thing um, for us personally. But there's guys that, uh, that like the picture quality of a white flash. They want They want that color nighttime image. So they'll buy a white flash and they, you know, there's guys that swear that their deer are conditioned, um, to that flashing light. Um, you know, again, it just goes back to, uh, a you know, personal preference. I would never personally run a white flash camera, um, to collect data on a deer that I wanted to hunt because I do not want them to have the slightest clue that I am in their bedroom or their living room and I'm trying to kill them. Right. Okay. What about
0: color or whether or not the you know the sd card is behind you know the the camera opens all the way up or something i guess similar to what you guys have where um the battery compartment and all that stuff is is separate from Mm -hmm. the you know the rest of the camera does that make a difference at all
1: um, in longevity, it does, uh, you know, the t- traditional clamshell type cameras that, that, uh, you know, that are hinged on one side, uh, that have a latch on one side, the opposite, they have a latch on the opposite side. And then they have like, um, you know, the silicone or rubber O-ring around them. In our testing, we've found that they are more, uh, susceptible to moisture ingress, allowing water into those cameras because that single latch, um, does not, distribute even pressure and even seal around that camera. So you'll see more and more companies starting to get away from that and going to, um, you know, like the half door, like a a Browning, I know has done that Browning makes a, makes a, makes a pretty good, a damn good trial camera for their price point. Um, so that, that's, that is one thing. Um, as far as SD cards go, um, you know, every manufacturer uses a different codec in their camera, a different writing process. So, it's hard to say, you know, which, which SD card or which brand is going to work better than the next in a specific camera. Um, I'll leave that up to the manufacturer to declare. Okay. So
0: you, you mentioned you, you know, you like to, um, put your, your, you like to put your trail cameras up above the ground. So, you know, not only, the deer don't see them, but, you know, the added benefit is that if, uh, if some guy comes walking through, they're not going to probably lay eyes on it as well. Or if they do, it might be a little hard to get to. Do you have any other recommendations as far as uh, trail camera safety? I mean, keeping your trail camera secure and, and not, uh, able to, uh,
1: you know, have it stolen? Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's the obvious, um, the lock boxes, the Python cables, Um, you know, chains, whatnot, but the bottom line is if, if truly, if somebody wants a camera bad enough, they're going to take it. Um, you know, we've had, uh, we've had instances where people have, uh, cut trees down actually (laughs) to, to take a camera. Um, so I, I think the lock boxes keep honest people honest and it's going to prevent any damage from, uh, maybe bears or, um, any other pesky critters, um, but one thing that we do a lot is, is elevated setups. Um, you know, we carry a stick with us, um, and we'll get that camera elevated eight to nine, eight nine, ten 10 feet off the ground again, and angle that down. And like you said, not only does that eliminate the animal from seeing it, but it, it is also out of the line of sight of, uh, you know, any people that may be walking public or any trespassers that you may have, because one thing that we have found from talking to customers is, Most cameras, this is kind of hard to believe, but most cameras are stolen on public. And we find that it's usually by a neighbor or a trespasser that uh, obviously knows they are not supposed to be on the property. They get their picture taken and they're like, oh shit, what do I do now? So they, they, they take the SD card or they take the camera. So, um, anywhere where especially if, if you're on, you know, if it's legal to bait in your state and you have a bait pile out or a mineral site, any place where you would logically think there's a trail camera, I, I would recommend getting them off the ground, getting them elevated. Okay. You said angle them down. What are you using to angle them down? Well, you could use a, you could use a, third, marty, a third party mounting system. You could use a stick and pick or a cam lock box mount, um, you know, that has a vertical and horizontal um, pivot point. Or, or you could just use a stick. You know, there's plenty of times where we're in the woods where we don't have anything handy in our packs, um, that we'll, we'll go up. We'll use the regular strap that's provided with the camera, but then, uh, you know, we'll use the, we'll use a stick and, um, and wedge that between the top of the camera to get it, it, to get it pointed down. And, and, uh, sometimes you have to, you know, kind of, uh, take a test photo or, uh, if there's a viewer on the camera, look at the viewer to make sure, you know, your target area is right. Um, but after enough, after enough experience in, in setting those types of sets up, um, you know, it doesn't take any longer than uh, typically just strapping them to a tree four or five feet off the ground. Yep.
0: All right. So now here's where I, here's where I always get pissed at myself. And that is simply like forgetting to turn the, the on button on or turn it off <laughs> of a setup mode to the on button or you know, making sure that I format the SD card or, you know, something that is my fault. Do you, do you have any tips
1: for maybe a guy like me who is a dumbass? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're, you're not alone there, Dan. You know, I've, uh, you know, running these things for 10 plus years, I have been there plenty of times and there's nothing more frustrating than coming back and finding your camera off knowing that you left there setting that up, you know, in hopes of, uh, in hopes of landing a few pictures of a shooter and, uh, you know, there's nothing there. So, you know, just double check, triple check, do whatever you have to do to make sure that you know that that camera is properly functioning, but it also helps to run uh, a single brand. You know, if you're happy with whether it's browning, or Reconyx, Moultrie, whatever brand that, uh, you know, you feel comfortable with running, it does help to run the same model or the same brand because uh, typically, um, the, the user interface or the setup is going to be similar. So, um, that would be, I guess my only tip is, uh, double check, triple check and you know, if at all possible, use, uh, use similar cameras.
0: Right. I'll tell you one thing that I've done over the past uh, two years actually is, I will turn my camera on, wait for it to take a couple pictures of me moving around in front of the camera, go check the camera again to make sure that it is set up correctly and then turn it on and walk away because I, I want to make sure that my trail camera is taking pictures before I, I walk away from it for, you know, upwards of right now I'm going on five weeks that I haven't since I've checked my trail camera. So, um, Uh, I, I get, it's to the point now where I'm, I lose sleep sometimes thinking about my trail cameras. (laughs) So I want to make sure that they're up and they're running. And uh, that's one thing that uh, I do. I even one time, one year, uh, before I went into the timber, uh, I put a big, I had a permanent marker in my car, a Sharpie, and I wrote double check on my hand that closes it. So when I was closing it, I would look at it and I'm like, okay, well, I got to go in and make sure it's all accurate again. But, uh, again, that's for someone with a
1: uh, low brain power like myself. Hey man, absol- absolutely. If, uh, you know, if that, if anything that helps you, if that helps you, then the more power to you, man, that, uh, there's, again, there's nothing more frustrating than coming back to a set after five weeks, right. finding it turned off. Like, you know, that's, uh, that's just a punch in the gut. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. So let's see here. Is, do you have any other type of, uh, you know, advice for people, whether they're looking to purchase their first trail camera or another trail camera? Actually, before you answer that question, I want to talk about, you know, you mentioned try to get all trail cameras, this, you know, the same. So you're, you're running the entire brand. Um, in the past, I have had an issue where those my SD cards don't function properly on both trail cameras. Is there some kind of data or software or I don't know what it is that goes on to that SD card even after you format it that could prevent um that S D card working in both trail cameras?
1: Well um yes and no. Uh, you know Every, every manufacturer uses, uses a different codec or uses a different writing process. And it is very important that you format your, if it's possible to format your card inside your camera, uh, to sync not only the writing speed to the host, but also, um, make sure that those file allocation tables, uh, do not have any corrupt files or cookies on them. Um, you know, when you jump cards from brand to brand, uh, you may experience issues. We've had issues with that, uh, in the, in the past using, uh, multiple different brands. And we've had a few consumers, um, have a couple of problems with those, you know, running, running a card in one brand and then pulling that card, putting in an Exodus camera and not formatting it. And then that camera not writing properly. So there is something there. Um, I would suggest, buying two specific cards for every camera that you have and labeling those cards, um, for that specific brand or that for that specific model. Um, so you don't have to worry about that while you're in the field, because, uh, again, there's nothing more frustrating than pulling that card, uh, coming home, viewing it on your computer or, or in the field on a, on a viewer and, uh, and see corrupt files or, or know that that camera was taking pictures, but yet you don't have any data.
0: Now, another thing that I've noticed in, 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 the past has been PC versus Mac computers. And <laughs> are, are there, are there brands out there or, um, software out there that will only allow you to look at your pictures in, uh, a certain type of, on a certain type of computer?
1: Absolutely. You know, uh, that's a, that's a great point or great question, um, Specifically for Exodus for us, um, Mac does throw us a little, a few, a few, fits. Um, you know, you, to view your videos, um, those AVI files, you have to have, I think it's VCL or VLC or Premiere Pro. Um, otherwise those videos come off a little bit, uh, a little bit, um, glitchy, I guess, you know, they stop and start, stop and start a lot. Um, and typically we don't have that problem with uh, a regular PCs or a window based computer, um, you know, and again, it all goes back to what kind of codec the, uh, the manufacturer's using. Um, it, it just goes back to the, and any manufacturer can give you, you know, give you advice as far as what kind of, uh, what kind of program, what kind of software to use when you're, when you're viewing that data. Um, it just goes back to being familiar with your cameras, being familiar with, uh, what type of codec they're using, being familiar with which types of cards they recommend and, uh, what type of software they recommend in viewing those pictures. But there is, uh, there is definitely a difference between viewing pictures on a PC, um, you know, a window based operating system versus, um, a Mac.
0: Okay. So I guess going back to that question that I, that I was going to ask, but, uh, the, do you have any other information or any other tips or tricks or anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners about trail cameras, whether that's purchasing them or maybe maintaining them or, you know, I don't know anything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, most guys are running these things 365, at least most guys that, uh, that we deal with. Um, and, there can be an added advantage to, um, um, maintaining your cameras, uh, after your postseason scouting, you know, after January, February, after your season closes and you can verify, you know, which deer, which buck have kind of have made it through the season and, uh, are going to be available for next year, you know, it kind of in between that, that law of, uh, uh, you know, the time that we take up, you know, typically that's taken up during, you know, taking up. Shed hunting, I guess, in between postseason scouting and turkey hunting, I guess you could say. If you could bring those cameras in, uh, take the batteries out of them, clean them up, um, provide some type of lubricant to um your seals, your o-rings. That could be all the difference in the world as as far as the longevity of that camera. Um, you know, keeping those seals moisturized so they don't dry out, allowing, you know, water ingress. Um, your camera's gonna last a lot longer. And uh Another thing I would say is dependent on which brand you're using, if you can get those cameras off of trees, um, I think that also could be an, uh, an advantage. Um, typically smooth bark trees, like a, like a a birch or an aspen. Um, you know, when it rains, there's a lot of water and a lot of moisture running down those trees. And, uh, if you can get them off those trees away from that moisture, um, you know, I think that that uh, can add to the longevity, uh, of your cameras. Nice.
0: Nice. Well, I tell you what, I want to say thanks again for, uh, not only your support, but thanks for coming on the show and talking trail cameras with us. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I'm, I can tell you this. I'm really excited for what you guys have coming out in the next couple of years because I know a little bit of something, you know, I, I might've played dumb there at the beginning. But <laughs> uh, I know a little bit of something that's, uh, that's coming out that
1: I'm really interested for. So, uh, thank you. Absolutely, man. I, uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to come on, especially for the hundredth hundred episode. Um, you know, we believe in everything that you're doing, Um, obviously we think you're you're doing a great job that's you know we we support you 100% and uh, we're excited uh, where this goes beyond here
0: and there you have it the 100th episode is nearing an end and uh, thank you Chad for coming on the show I really appreciate your time and uh, the support from Exodus Uh, what else what else what else the listeners thank you guys for tuning in and uh, you know I wasted too much of your time in the beginning uh, thanking you, so I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Oh, here's what, here's what you want to do to win the giveaway, right? So we had uh, the first and second place. They're going to be chosen at random. And uh, in order to win, this is how you enter. So the very first thing you need to do is go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page and share the Facebook post that mentions this podcast, this 100th episode on your personal Facebook page. Then you need to go to 2% for Conservation Facebook page and you need to like that page and you need to comment Nine Fingers Sent Me. So go visit 2% for conservation, like that page, and comment nine fingers sent me. Now, a majority of us on this podcast are whitetail hunters. So the next thing that we need to do is we need to go to the National Deer Alliance Facebook page. You need to like that page, and you need to mention nine fingers sent me. You need to comment nine fingers sent me. Now- This last and final thing um, I'm asking you to do, I can't track it, so I'm just gonna, you know, in good faith, hopefully you guys will all do this. You need to go to the National Deer Alliance website, and you need to sign up to be part of the National Deer Alliance, and uh, they'll send you a ton of great information. Now, you don't have to read every article they send your way, but just by you signing up will allow you to be part of something big so again in order to win this first and second place prize number one share the facebook page on the nine finger chronicles facebook page that or hang on let me start over Share the Facebook post on the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page that mentions this 100th episode. Go to the 2% for Conservation Facebook page, like it, and comment, Nine Fingers Sent Me. Go to the National Deer Alliance Facebook page, like it, and comment, Nine Fingers Sent Me. Now, I can actually go and look to see if you guys have done that, all those things. And that's how I'm going to pick the winner, you know, I'll go, okay, shared it, check, went to 2% for conservation, check, went to National Deer Alliance, check, Uh, and the last thing I'm asking you all to do, I can't track this, so it's kind of like in good faith, go to the National Deer Alliance Facebook page, or excuse me, website, go to the National Deer Alliance website and just sign up, All this drama that's going on in the hunting industry right now, a lot of it is because the anti-hunters are, you know, they are obviously larger in numbers, but they're winning because they are, in a way, organized. The hunting community is not really organized, so the National Deer Alliance, you signing up, it's one it's one more step closer to joining forces and becoming a united front against people who are trying to stop our traditions, our, our, our hunting rights, our way of life. So, uh, it's something that, uh, over the past couple months I've, I've started to really get excited about, not just the National Deer Alliance, but conservation, um, you know, the hunting community as a whole, and, uh, and realizing that in order for us to continue to do what we love to do, we have to stand up for our rights and we have to do that together. So, um, you know, that's me on my soapbox. Uh, but, uh, you know, 2% for conservation, uh, that is a really, really cool idea. Um, 1% of your income and 1% of your time. Uh, because, as we all know, just buying hunting tags and licenses, and although sometimes those can be pretty expensive, just buying the uh, the tags and licenses isn't going to cut it. And we need to do more, uh, as well as um, you know, signing up for the National Deer Alliance to uh, you know join forces with your brothers and sisters uh, that that love to hunt and love the outdoors. So uh, there's that. Now, if I've said it once i've said it 100 times thanks for listening and if you go out and hang a tree stand wear your damn safety harness thanks for listening